Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me Jay Steinbach. Jay is the founder, CEO, and chairman at YWales. He found the company at the behest of hundreds of business professionals around the planet that were eager to learn and invest in the upcoming Web3 transition. Jay, how are you today? I'm fabulous. How you been? I'm good. So the intro that you provided is really interesting to me because it was almost like a call to action from your community. This is obviously something that you were passionate about before, but could you maybe walk through this dynamic that you felt compelled to build this community because of this kind of energy that you felt from people in and around you? Yeah. So the story behind Why Whales is actually one of the most interesting points of my life. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been in the VC space for over 20 years. I came from a family business as an operator, understood the soup to nuts on everything there. Took over that company at age 30, bought my entire family out at age 35, sold it off to private equity a couple of years later. Started a big portfolio of companies with, with my wife in the residential and commercial real estate business. And I've been really, my first purchase of Bitcoin was like really early 2010. I bought a hundred Bitcoin for $20 and did just kind of playing around with it never really thinking of it. And they weren't even worth $20. It was just the guy I knew was like, he's like, I don't know, $20 here. Here's a hundred of them. And because there was absolutely no use case, I wasn't in, there wasn't anything there. And Bitcoin was really like a test. Like that was the entire thing. They really early on was like, oh, this is just theoretically what digital money was look like. And so that's all I wanted to do was like, oh, okay. And so I threw the computer away, never thought anything of it. And it's a funny story because like, even if I had held onto it, like hundred percent, I would have sold it when it reached $20 a coin, a hundred dollars a coin, like never would have been one of these long-term holders. So I give all the OGs all the credit for there, but stayed very involved and kind of watched when, when Ethereum came along and EVMs and smart contracts was now it became like, okay, this is a real thing. There's something happening here. The challenge I ran into and was 
Where do you find trust around around this? I was a CIO for over a decade. I've got a large tech background. So I really understand ERPs, CRMs, big data and everything else. And I understood where where blockchain and smart contracts and everything else could could fit into big data. But everything I was reading and watching on YouTube and all these articles was all about the, like these random coin prices. It was like degenerate gamblers and, and no real technology behind what these guys are trying to build. And a stock market that's just a bunch of FOMO is is no one needs or cares. And we still see a lot of that today. So essentially, you play around and you play in Coinbase, you play around here or there. And I said, okay, I feel like now that the bull run was getting going, I feel like I'd like to make a, a larger investment. How do you even put in seven or eight figures into cryptocurrencies? And I hate to tell you, it's really not easy to do, especially if you want to manage it yourself. I mean, you can go to, there's a number of funds, you guys have them and others. If you say, look, I would like to just make large purchases, it's, it's really difficult. So I asked a single question on uh, YPO Connect and I just said, how do you get eight figures into cryptocurrency? And I received over 150 emails within about 48 hours saying, if you can figure this out, please let us know. We, there was a ton of interest and absolutely no knowledge. And so what I was able to find from there was random telegram groups and random signal groups that were supposed to be closed and private. And you kind of chat around in there and all you have is like name, random names and numbers. And there was just no verification that was outside of YPO. So what simply happened was I said, these combos are great, but they're very broken. Who wants to hop on a Zoom? And Zoom one was five or six people. And then I said, okay, we'll do it again because people felt that they had been left out. And so we did it again and it was seven or eight people. And that kind of continued really throughout 2021. And, and eventually we got to a point where there's a hundred and something YPO members, all that were verified on Zoom. And so we started just verified Discord servers. We started kind of building websites and stuff. And this is just a hobby. Like I had a full-time job. I had a massive company that was building and growing at the time. So it was just in my spare time, it's like, okay, on weekends, let's build the Discord server out. Let's build the onboarding process out. And then I realized like, there's a lot here. I mean, we're in some, some days we were trying to onboard 10, 15 people a day. These are all YPO members. And I, I felt very beholden to like, oh my God, these are my peers. How do I, how do I meet these demands? And the really simple thing I do is like anything else. I hired somebody. I hired a couple of interns, summer interns. I said, look, just help these people get into the platform. It's not a moderated deal. It's just help walk them into this. And Fireside, which is our Fridays, was growing 100, 150 people on a Saturday or on a, I'm sorry, on a Friday. And to get 150 YPO members to sit on Zoom for, for two hours, like YPO spends hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to get a fraction of that level uh, of engagement. And so we just kind of, again, we took a lot of evolutions and going through and I felt quite beholden. Brian, you're, you run a number of companies and you know that the more people you hire and the more you scale, it just starts costing money. And so I was burning. I decided I didn't want to pay in US dollars. I said, okay, I'll just pay you an ETH. And so I bought every pre-bought the salaries in ETH when ETH was right around, I think it was like 15, 1600 bucks and came up with like, here's what I'm going to pay you. And like by the end of that year in 21, I mean, ETH was at like five, 5,000 plus dollars. And I had people that were making, Mia was making five, six, five, six ETH a month and very happy about it. So she put in a ton of time and then it grew from there. Eventually it got to the point where like it was, taking so much of my time and it was so engaging. How do you say no? How do you say no when there's that much energy and there's no ROI? I never monetize, never thought once about monetizing the community, charging them. We did some NFT projects and it was fun to play around with, but it was, it was kind of a mild stopgap. And then we started offering education, some DeFi classes and, and other things. And it just, it just really spiraled out of control to the point where, you know, I, I kind of said, I'm going to go full time into this last year. 
but I still had no idea what a business plan would look like. No idea what, what was happening. And it was costing 10,000 something dollars a month to, to run this thing. And everyone's just coming in and they're, they're thrilled. There's no politics. There's no nothing. It's just, how do you have group education and collaboration in a safe KYC environment? And so it was essentially the the ground the groundwork for like here's a good foundation that that we believe works. Number one, people want to be respected and be known. So there's a, there's a gazillion places online that you can go be anonymous, go enjoy, have fun. But there's very few places where you're a known entity, and that was really what Y Whale's groundwork was. You're known, so if you're going to say like, hey, I believe you should buy Bitcoin, and here's X, Y, and Z, well. We can, we know who that person is. We know what their chapter is. And we also know like what, where their investments have been and what their full-time job is. And if you have something like that coming from someone that's full-time in the industry, working in the industry is, is giving speeches and, and touring around talking about the subject. I, I think it's worthwhile listening to vice versa. There's online with the TikTokers and YouTubes and everyone else. They're all telling you all these things. But we don't really know who these people are. And the reality is most of them are have zero investments. They're just shilling their bags of like, hey, I bought this crap token. I've got a whole bunch at this price. And now I got to pump it up so I can unload my bag to my followers. And I thought that's a really bad way to do it. So then we started running into the other issues, which is time zones. Like Web3 solves almost all problems except it's time zones. And so we're global. I mean, why whales today, only 30% of us are based in the United States. So we, we have a big kind of North America and South America, but tons of Europe, Europe, Asia, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand. And so there's a whole time zone issue over there. And I tried to do the thing where like, okay, I'm going to stay up at night and, and, and replicate some of the, the US based things over there. And it just, there's only so many hours a day. So we started the podcast and the podcast was designed literally for, we get intros every single day to early stage startups, to some of the top professionals and experts in the industry. And simply put, it was, it was an amazing experience because I come about it, not from, I don't never grew up and said, I want to be a podcaster or, or do any of this, but I'm very familiar with VC pitches. I ran startup competitions for a number of years. I've been heavily involved in, in angel investing and whatnot. So that's exactly what I do. I just want to know what your company is. What's your theses? Well, how you came up with your theses and then how things are going. And when someone's like, Oh yeah, our coins at this price and we think it's going to be at this price. That's cute. I honestly don't care. I, if you've got the crystal ball to tell me where the crypto market's going, like, please let me know. <laughs> but, but I just want to know, like, what's your business model and, and what are you doing? And what I found, Brian was, was quite simply, there's a ton of energy, a ton of money and a ton of development happening with no actual concept of ever making money or even having a consumer base of which wants to buy these things. And so, it, yeah, it, it's just a totally out of control thing like any entrepreneur. And, and by the I said, look at, at 50,000, I'm going to you know pull the plug on this thing. Okay. At, at a hundred thousand, I'm going to pull the plug on this thing. And by the time we actually launched and formulated, what's our business model? What are we going to do? How are we going to take this to market? And I was about 1.5 in. It's wild. So you talk about trust and that word gets thrown around quite a bit within crypto land and web three communities. The decision to use YPO as your, you mentioned this concept KYC, know your customer. Was that just initially that was going to be the way you did this or did that require a really deep thought through process? Because YPO, I mean, I've become a huge fan. Many people on the show as guests or YPO folks, it's an incredible community and it does limit your ability to scale it. 
by definition. So what did that thought process look like? You got to remember for <laughs> for the first year of this thing, and I've been at it for about a year and a half now, scaling was terrifying. There's only me. There's I don't believe in charging for it. So it was kind of like if you're in YPO and you can be validated through our systems as a YPO member, like there's no charge. Come in, hang out, do whatever you want, attend these, talk about your own projects. There's really the only rules I have is number one, no politics. And number two, just no referring other Discord servers. And the no politics one is pretty clear. And the no other Discord servers is just quite simply because no one else moderates their servers the way we do. And so we had members that their first experience was with Y Whales. And then they would go go over to some other one and they were just like shocked that they were getting scammed and there was all sorts of other things. And so we just said, that's the end of there. But, but to jump back to your question, why... We always kind of knew that it's, it's, you know, let's start with YPO. We've built essentially a business model around that and we're very protective of that YPO community. We're now going out and working on a relationship with EO, uh, CEO and a variety of other professional organizations to kind of build out the systems and services that we've done behind the back end. And I think the most important point is. I don't look at these as communities like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram of like, we're going to bring these people in and then how do we monetize them? I think that's a, why I'm not on social media. I, I don't want to feel monetized and I want to feel respected. So what Y Whales does and the business model we've essentially built is to flip that on its end. What happens if you bring in KYC people, KYC people <laughs> that that are known entities in the world that are willing to be known that have a valid interest in, in our subject matter? And what if we treat them as clients? What if we, instead of telling them, here's what we're going to give you and here's these tools, what if we flip that on its head and say, what do you need? And what they need is education. What they want is collaboration. And what, and what they want is just to kind of keep a pulse on what's happening here. And if an investment comes along that they do want to deploy capital to, then how can they easily, legally, and ethically deploy that capital, but also know that that is being watched? Because when you have busy people, and that's really what it is, when you have really busy, successful people, mildly high maintenance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm the worst offender as that is. And so the, what you kind of get is that if we look at all of the Y Whales, YPO members, and we say, look, you guys are our clients. You come in, there's absolutely no charge. Continue to be no charge. You can come in, use the Discord server. You can use our wikis. You can attend all of our fireside, our networking, our education events, like no charge. Enjoy. But in the event you ever need anything, you want, you do want to do a startup, you do have interest in investing, you do have want to get more involved or kind of understand how to, how to integrate your business into Web3, then that's why we're launching Y Whales Ventures, Y Whales Solutions, and, and Y Whales Labs. And they're entirely optional. No is, I always say, a perfectly acceptable answer. But I think that that's a real difference is like, we're, we're not sitting here saying we want to be the end all be all, but we essentially establish community trust. And it's been entirely successful. We've, I've spent zero dollars on advertising. I've actually never even posted in YPO on any of the networks or any frames. It's been entirely word of mouth. And to go from zero to 1300 YPO members, which are, you know, generally fair finicky people, it or can be in, in really about, I'd say about a year is, is a massive accomplishment. Yeah. So obviously I'm a YPO member. I'm a member of Y Whales, although I've not done my onboarding yet because I've been traveling every week since forever. So I need to do that to your point. I am busy. I don't know how talented I am, but um, I definitely am, am, am a high touch client as well. And to your point, I initially found out about you all because I posted for our capital club, we needed experts in the blockchain web three space. And I immediately got like 10 messages from YPO people saying, here's why whales just go talk to Jay. And I said, all right, what is this? And we've now gone down this rabbit hole where you're on the show. I'm going to be on yours. I've connected with Mia 
super talented in Nashville, trying to make sure that we're hooking her up locally and getting her plugged in to everything happening in the Nashville community, which is communities are famously hard to maintain to, to your comment earlier. YPO is probably one of the best in the world. They have a massive budget, massive amount of talent, and they lean really heavily on the community members to be active, to volunteer, to give beyond just their their membership fee every year. And it works. It's really cool. It's great. But it takes a huge amount of time and resources. How have you been able to, I know the, the, the story to start it, but just maintaining it and being consistent and managing that scale while maintaining that high touch quality contact, how have you been able to achieve that? So look, it's a lot easier when Bitcoin's at 50, 60,000 and, and moving up, there's a lot of interest coming in. As we're down here at 20K and, and sinking, it wanes off plus it's summer. And so there's a lot of seasonality to the cryptocurrency market. But what we see when the market dies down is we see the builders up here. We see kind of that, that's when it's, there, there's less pressure on everyone to kind of deploy their coin, their project, their token immediately. And so what we find is like right now we're, I mean, inundated with solutions clients. People saying, I have an idea. I don't want to go build it off in a vacuum and come back. So how can you help me? And so I spent, I'm sure you do the same thing quite often is you, you don't, you can donate only so many hours a week to free consulting. And so we, we essentially formalize that process. But you know, the way we keep people engaged is just being here is just being there when they need us. People disappear like you do for like you did, you get busy, you want to travel. And I think that that's one of those things is that people need to be able to disengage and re-engage and and kind of pick right back up where they left off. And so that's why we do fireside fireside is designed. It's two hours every single week can be anywhere from 30 people to, I think we topped out one week at about 175 and, and that's entirely fine. It doesn't matter if there's 10 people on there, we're still going to go on. We still want to talk and hang out. So we do the newsletters and it, it keeps touch points going. And that's really the thing is you can't, ever get kind of disheartened by like, oh, it's, it's a light week or it's a, we didn't have as many people show up today. And so I think it's one of those things that we built, we're building Y Whales Enterprises more as a research center think tank than we are a, a traditional community or, or startup. And I think that that's really one of the things that differentiates us is we're doing this. And when I say we, I mean, there's right now 18, 18 full-time staff members. I'd, I'd say over half of those are YPO members that have, have essentially committed for the next decade to this is the asset class they want to do. We have a number of gold gold members. We have very active members um, and we've hired some amazing staff. And I think that that's really where the next evolution is, is that I don't want to be an expert. I don't, I don't believe in, in that in, in an industry this young, because for everything, there's 10 things that are, haven't even been discovered or built yet or designed yet that you have to kind of keep an open mind. And so that's why I essentially think of us as kind of a research center think tank more than a, a group of experts. And, and to your point, we do I probably do two or three keynotes a month to YPO chapters or, or uh, networks. I had breakfast this morning with a, with a friend, really smart guy. And we're talking about macroeconomics, the economy, what's happening in the world. And we're recording this in June of 2022 and the world's kind of melting down the financial markets, crypto, everything. But what he made a comment that he was risk on on venture. Yep. Which I thought was super interesting because Famously, there's been a huge amount of write-downs on valuation across multiple industries. Famously, tech companies are reducing staff. There's a lot of fear in the marketplace. Sequoia and some other groups have put out big memos saying entrepreneurs need to build trenches, need to be kind of recession-proof, hold on to cash. Financing is going to be expensive and difficult, etc. But he was saying that during 
times of fear, recessionary periods are typically when the best ideas come about. And there's a washout of the charlatans and and the, the people that don't have great, really solid business models. Are you feeling and seeing that within the Web3 and crypto space that this is a refresh where really good ideas and solutions can actually come to market without all the noise and the smoke? Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. I, I completely agree. And and the reality is, is that there was a lot of gambling. When you get these bull runs, and it's historically happened many times, we saw the ICO craze. We just lived through the NFT craze. I believe you're going to see the Dow craze uh, coming up coming up during the next bull run and others. And, you know, why Wales is structured to eventually become a Dow. Um, I really believe strongly in that technology, but it's there's no rush to get on chain. They're legal in Tennessee now. They're they're legal, but that's <laughs> I don't know about the adoption. Yeah, I was going to say in a single state, there's a lot there, and so Wyoming yeah. put a little bit of this out there. But but you know what you're seeing right now is is we're so early in the technology, like mainstream adoption hasn't even begun to happen. And I don't people may know of NFTs, it may be a household name, but the actual number of people that own them is is minuscule. It's tiny, and and so what we see right now, and I, it's hard to compare Web three to Web two because Web one and Web two were kind of evolutions, but web three compared to web one is a, is a really easy comparison. And so to, to slide back over to your ask of our VCs investing in the space, I can give a couple of quick stats. And again, it's uh, June 24th of 22. And we started our raise for Y Whales Enterprises, which is the subsidiary company that owns our kind of entire ecosystem. And we came out with a seed raise to the community, to YPO and, and, and others about five weeks ago. And that was right at the same week that the UST Terra meltdown happened. So really, that was kind of like the, the first bump that hit all the stuff down. So we launched right into the, the downturn. We came out with $100 million value, 10 cents a share, going to raise $10 million and, and kind of gave ourselves the summer to do it. Here I am about five weeks later, we're about four and a half million committed. And it's taken about three to four weeks to, to, get the, to get that plug. But I mean, tons of interest, inundated every day on LinkedIn, inundated with, with asks. Our ventures fund is launching probably next month as we get a little closer getting those things done. And again, it's the interest in, in ventures is even higher than the interest in, in enterprises for the ownership of there. And so I would say even talking to all the other venture capitalists in the space that are that are I would say the reserved ones. We saw also recently the bust of a number of the, the big guys, Three Arrows, Capital, and all these ones. And and it just turns out that all these numbers of like this thousand percent return and everything else was they were just leveraged, like beyond leveraged to get these numbers. And there's a lot of reasons why there's some issues there, but you know, for funds that are not leveraging, there is a ton of interest. There is a lot of capital that was pulled off. I mean, the crypto market at, at its peak was was $3 trillion. We're down right now. I just looked this morning. I think it's about 920 million. So, un, so under a trillion dollars. While some of the money just poof goes away because of some dead protocols and some other issues, there's a lot of crypto, very, very experienced crypto investors that are, that have pulled a lot of cash off the table and they're sitting in the sidelines. We can see it. You can look on chain any single day and see what money is sitting in USDC, USDT, and, and they're growing every single day. You can watch the funds moving in and out of the exchanges. And I think that's one of the most interesting things of Web3 is that transparency. You don't have to guess like you do the traditional stock market or, or wait for the reports to come out. Once 
once you learn how to read the chain data, it, everything dynamically changes. And so I think the very smart investors or the investors that, that watched the last bull run from afar and said like, well, it seems like the thing goes up and comes back down again. All right. And so now they're looking at, at ways to deploy some serious capital, um, knowing that zero is not an option. It's this technology is coming. They believe in it. They just want to find the best places to legally and ethically and morally enter the space. So let's take that the next step. I mean, where are some of the most exciting ways you're seeing businesses leverage this technology? What are some of the businesses, pitches, investment theses that you, I'm not make, asking to make a recommendation, but what gets you excited? And flip side, what are some places that you're just staying away from you think are just not, not viable in the near term? Yeah, I think right now it's, it's got to have real world value. Utility is is that kind of key metric. We're seeing a lot of these these anonymous teams, and I'm not saying every one of them is bad. There's a lot of amazing people that have really valid reasons to to be anonymous. But I think Olympus Dow is a is a is a great example. They went from zero to about three point three billion dollars in seven months. That's an that's an insane number. And because they had raised the money illegally, they couldn't deploy it. They were entirely decentralized and, and somebody handling, I think their, their, their quote unquote anonymous CEO was eventually doxxed as, as a, as a convicted felon for financial crimes. And so that's really what ha- you're seeing is there's a lot of interest. There's tons of capital that wants to go into the space, but the technology is so new that you kind of have these anonymous teams that are like, Hey, let me throw this out. I know it's not, I, I can't legally do this. I can't legally create this data. And whether it's in Tennessee or Wyoming or wherever the case is, that doesn't, that actually doesn't work at scale yet. And it's like marijuana in one state versus federal. So what we're, what I think you're going to see over, over the short and long term is, is the professionals showing up the, the people like Y whales. And, and there's a number of others like us that we're starting to see that are going like, look, we, the, the basics of, of this have been flushed out for the most part. We understand what, what's working, what's not working. We want to have real world utilities. So whether you're selling an NFT that actually grants you real world access to, to something, I absolutely see tons and tons of, of interest in and around those. The, the other side of, of this that I think is, is really interesting is again, anywhere that you can just in small ways, like payments. Shockingly is something that gets ignored every single day. We see BitPay is a Y Whales member. There's a number of, of other ones that have like real world, like, yeah, you want to accept crypto payments. They do the automatic conversion day one. And I, I see a lot of interest there. I, I'd say what I see very little of is the is this perceived value in a lot of these smaller projects. They did go to zero. We saw NFT projects that at one point were worth tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars that are now worth thousands overall. And so I think that that idea of like, we're putting out an investable and we'll tell you what it does later is a very like FOMO way way to manage it. And so I, I really, without calling out any individual projects or any individual subjects, I, in, in the NFT world, it, it's got to have utility. It's got to have real world value or, or the ability to use it in some way besides just like it's pretty art. Amazing things being done in just art. And I, I can only knock on it because I don't understand art in the physical world or in the digital world. So I just, I can't advise on that in any way, shape or form. But in the blockchain world, I think that we've, we've seen algorithmic stable coins just kind of go and die. And so there's going to be a lot of, a lot of value on, on having a stable asset, whether it's, whether it's a, a 
central bank issuing this digital currency or whether it's a third party like like Circle, I think you're going to see a lot of the regulation come into the space. And that's what we need. I mean, I I, I, I never want to say we need regulation. I never want to say, let's, let's get these the government involved because that's the last thing we generally want. But but crypto and, and blockchain overall, Web3 has done a terrible job of managing themselves. Even this morning, Harmony had a, a bridge hack, $100 million gone. Poof. And when you look at how it happened and what it did, you're like, Jesus, guys, th- this wasn't hard to avoid. But I think it's, it's again, there's so much theoretical, like FOMO, like I've got to deploy stuff quick. I got to deploy it fast and they're making money. But, but then that follow-up and that long-term value is, is where we're kind of missing of like, how, what's, what's going to last a decade or plus Bitcoin? will. I mean, we know Bitcoin will. Bitcoin's built an entire ecosystem around itself. I, I, Ethereum's done the same. A lot of these other little side chains that offer like no real world value other than like, Hey, like I just exist and I've got some good memes. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't guess on that, but it's not an investable product to us. I think long-term adoption is inevitable for many of these technologies. You've referenced NFTs, crypto, blockchain is being talked about in boardrooms across the world. What keeps you up at night in terms of what potentially could delay this adoption? This technology is still relatively new and powerful. What are are things that you worry about in terms of some of these investments or ideas that you see coming down the pike? I, I would say the biggest enemy to to Web3 right now is is almost the U.S. government. The When you think about Web1 and you think about these new technologies, they were granted kind of almost limitless like exploration powers to to dis, to discover i mean darpa was involved like they they were like hey here's how this can work and and they were very clear with like making the phone companies in some cases say no no you have to let people dial into these modems you can't you cannot say um and and these are again i'm i'm aging myself here right here but there was times where like phone companies were going to ban the ability to dial into modems because it was an improper use of the phone line and so you saw the 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 government back then step up and say no no this is free access you, you you cannot control this yes or no and and so with that you had the united states become the the hub of adoption the hub of innovation and really the center of of building out web web one and and that flowed right into web two unfortunately in web three there's there's it's the exact opposite regulations are coming down that have absolutely no basis we're going to allow proof of work we're going to ban proof of proof of stake what we're gonna we're not going to allow this technology because we don't believe that it's green enough what like th- these are the types of things that that really are I would say keep me up at night is that I web3 is going to happen like that's not anything to me but when I speak to some incredible teams that are doing legally sound projects that have real world value and they have bags that are packed in their closets today and they already know that they're most likely going to have to leave the United States because they're not going to be allowed to do business Irregardless of any, they're just they're just going to be banned from doing what they do because it's it's going to be made impossible to meet the standards of what's kind of happening to protect the, the traditional banks. The traditional banks should not in any way be be worried about this. They should be the first ones to be jumping through hoops to adopt this technology. Try send try sending a wire when when you need it to to make a large purchase. Like you get the hours between nine and five, and your your cutoff is at three o'clock. And if you don't get that before Friday, you're going to wait till next week. And and so I think that what we have right now is is just amazing amounts of energy that's behind this 
And there's a f- very few, and I want to say very few, like a, a small amount of people that are in, in, in places of power that haven't taken the time to educate themselves and haven't taken the time to, to educate them or the people that are around themselves making these laws and, and say what's really best for the overall growth of this from a global perspective. And I, I think that's what keeps me. So I've heard this refrain from other people in the space that this technological advancement will occur outside the US. And we've even seen this dichotomy with Binance versus Gemini and like what direction people have gone in. There's obviously huge amounts of pros and cons. If you were an investor or somebody interested in the space, where are these big centers of influence occurring abroad? Are we talking about Singapore? Are things happening mostly in APAC, Europe? Where should we look to just to see signals of where the most kind of exciting vanguard of the of the technologies occurring i think really there's a couple of different ways number one there's a, a, a ton of amazing things happening in the united states still i i think you're just seeing a much slower pace of innovation and and that's that's what's hurting it right now is that we're not able to keep pace like the fact that you can be a united states citizen and the state of new york is going to tell you which cryptocurrencies you can and cannot look at, which ones you have access to with no due diligence, no nothing that, that, that there's kind of this blanket law around there, I, I think is, is really crazy. And, and we won't get into the past. And that's why we don't talk too much about politics on, on why whales, but I don't think that there's essentially an innovation hub. I think South Korea has been, been blockchain based and, and kind of digital currency based for a while. But I, I don't think anyone really wants to go to their system because they lock everything down and you're, you're kind of stuck. Think, look at it this way. We have a couple employees in Canada. And so if you've ever done international payroll, you can understand and appreciate this. The employee that we have in Canada, I, we have no issue paying. Like there's like all these different taxes and fees you have to pay and you have to run it through payroll and everything else. I, I have no issue paying that. I will be happy to pay them. I just don't want to ACH into it. And the entire reason why a lot of this is being held back is because without those ACH, without those, those wires, they truly have no idea where money is moving and they're not comfortable letting go of that control. And so I don't really know of any government. You can talk about El Salvador. You can talk about a few that have adopted that we can, they can hold it on their books, but I think it's all just decentralized. It's really around the world. I mean, our team is spread out over the globe um, and we have a legal foundation to do what we do. That's, we don't do anything without kind of under the guidelines of what the SEC potentially requires. We don't have any clear, <laughs> there's no clear rulings on this. So it's kind of tough to do. You just go with the, with the highest you can, but I'd say centers of innovation. I mean, you would see a ton in Malaysia. We see China is like hot and cold. Like you see them jump in and out very quickly. I, I think one of the biggest centers that we're going to see, and I'm getting a lot of pressure and I'm probably going to be heading over there this fall for to do a keynote, is, is I think Saudi Arabia, Dubai, and, and others are really looking at this and going, this solves a lot of problem. When, when you think about kind of money and needing to move money, it's extremely expensive to do at scale. It's extremely expensive to do even on a small, small, small fee. And so I think that you're going to see kind of very basic things happening to adopt the technology. But I'd say the the best use case for blockchain and cryptocurrencies most likely hasn't even been invented. So when you speak to your elected representatives in the great state of Missouri, what would the what are the two or three things that you would just hammer them on that they could do that would be an easy lift politically that would really allow the US to have a, a seat at the table 
in this conversation, what's happening within the space. I, I think you want to immediately give people the option to make investments and, and to to push kind of cryptocurrencies. We'll talk about cryptocurrencies forward. Immediately adopt 1031 into into cryptocurrencies. Very standard thing in real estates, like kind exchanges. You can go from one to the X, you can save save your taxes and it makes it very it will really help to bring money into into that market in a variety of ways. Pay your taxes. There's no reason not to pay your taxes. And I but I think that it's one of those things that to have people invest and be able to kind of bounce from Bitcoin to Ethereum and Ethereum to USTC and back and forth based on on what they want to do without each one of these being a taxable event will will bring massive markets. That's why the NASDAQ and the Dow and, and all these other ones are, are, are based here in the United States is because we had good regulation that allowed people to kind of flow in and out of different investments in, in, in kind of legal, ethical, and, and tax efficient ways. You, uh, second, I would say is, is quite simply like, we just need rulings. Like we need direction. We need guidelines. We need somebody to sit down and say, what's the long-term, not short-term, what's the long-term benefits of this? To, to tokenize real estate, to tokenize assets is, is, is a massive win across the board for every single industry. I mean, you're, you guys do quite a bit of real estate, I know as well. And the idea that you can tokenize and, and fractionalize ownership of, of large buildings and, and make it a very low friction way to invest in and, and out it is so much easier than, than what is currently going on with these REITs where you throw a bunch of money in. You don't quite know what's going on. And then there's, there's long times to, to get your money out. And I think that having cash available at any certain time where you can jump in and out of investments, liquidity will absolutely bring more innovation and attention to the market. I, I think right now you just have, there's only 1.4 million Ethereum addresses, 1.4 million Ethereum addresses with one or more ETH. Like huh. there's, there's no one using this thing yet. It's such a tiny number. Yeah. So I did want to kind of dig in a little bit more on, on cryptocurrency in particular. Are you, so your long-term constructive on ETH and Bitcoin, do you think this was a necessary purging of the market of some of these coins that had no, you know, value? They weren't a medium of exchange, et cetera. I, I'm long-term bullish on centralized teams. <laughs> That that run projects and Bitcoin and Ethereum are not that. I, I really like Solana, I like Dot. There's a number of others, but I'm I'm very I'd say if in cryptos I'm I'm very head level ones is is my investment thesis. There's some amazing things happening in, in in level twos. There's a lot of other things happening. To me right now, we're still building these highways. And the best way I'd put kind of the the current ecosystem you have today is is way back in Web one. If you were on Prodigy. You, you were on Prodigy. You dialed into their server. You lived in the Prodigy world. And if you knew somebody that may have CompuServe over here, and this is the early days of this, like you literally could not interact. Even when email was like, oh, we both have email. You could not send an email from CompuServe to Prodigy early on because the bridges and, and the, essentially the protocols hadn't been built yet. And then AOL showed up and they're like, hey, we don't care. You can send email to any of these other people and here's where it goes. And I don't think we've had that moment yet. We haven't had that unifying bridge thing. And we still see like Ethereum versus Bitcoin versus Lightning. But like we see all these, these siloed essentially chains or highways that aren't interconnected in any meaningful way. And I know there's a ton of people working on level zeros that will solve this problem, but it's not done today. And the idea that I can go to even just go from Ethereum to a level two costs like can sometimes cost more than the amount that you're moving it is i mean that's that's not a that's not a visionary product if that's your solution to kind of prevent fraud or prevent bots i mean i, I think that there's better better chains solving that problem right now but but just to circle around way back to your question i get off base quite often if you haven't noticed there is a number of technologies 
that, that need to be flushed out. Um, bridges have to be secure. Like I said, we just talked a second ago, $100 million stolen out of the Harmony Bridge. That was a, a, a relatively professionally managed team. And the reason they got hacked was all they needed was two out of four signatures from, from a couple of Genosis wallets. And there you go. That's a very low threshold for to get to $100 million of which is unrecoverable in any way, shape or form. And so I think that, again, some some guidelines is, is definitely needed. We just saw the open standards for the metaverse come out and we saw Microsoft, Facebook, and a number of others say like, look here, we're going to go ahead and lay out. These are the standards of which metaverses should exist so that assets can move back and forth in between them. That's that's the proper way to do this is for everyone to get together and say, that's how USB and a number of other computer protocols have been done by the smartest people in the room saying, we're going to solve these problems. We're, we're still seeing the wild west and, and a majority of, of, of web three projects right now where they're just, people are doing crazy things and getting crazy valuations. Absolutely. But, but, but there's no long-term kind of value on, on some of the stuff I think is, is my issue. Well, Jay, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been awesome. It's a wealth of resources. If you're a YPO or listening, what's the best way for them to get plugged in with the Y Whales community? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a Y, the letter Y, whales.com. You can just go on the website, look at what we do. We've got probably 70, 80 podcasts we've recorded. So if you just kind of want to passively listen to some of the interviews that we've done, vice versa, you can absolutely join. There's absolutely no charge for YPO members. If you're not in YPO or you're in another professional organization, uh, in the next 30 days, we've got about three other uh, servers launching. We do keep them siloed. So I don't I don't try to mix different professional organizations because obviously there's privacy and, and kind of values are a little bit different in there. So yeah, absolutely. Otherwise I'm on LinkedIn as probably the most active social network that I'm on right now, Chase Steinbeck. But, but yeah, Brian, absolutely fabulous. Love, love speaking to you guys. And again, the entire goal is that we're still early, very, very early. So anyone that's saying, Hey, now's the time to really go all in. Not quite, but it's a good time to be taking a look at the market, especially if you want to invest in some early stage companies that are doing some very cool things. Yeah. I can personally attest to Jay and his team are tremendous and the community's great. While I have you if you don't qualify by means of one of these communities or networks, do you have advice or thoughts about resources that people should plug into if they want to learn more about this world, be they books, podcasts, literature, communities, et cetera? Yeah, I would say stick with the known entities. Stick with anyone that's made millions of dollars in the last few years. You can just go ahead and push them off to the side. They may have some really good values of of like where they were and what they did, but somebody that that's an ETH millionaire or gazillionaire because they made a good investment in 2015, what have you done recently? And I think, Brian, you can appreciate this. There's a lot of people that have made small fortunes in cryptocurrencies by starting with a large fortune. And so I really always be really understand what they do. There's a, I'll give a shout out to an interesting project I liked called Shrimpy. I think, I believe it's shrimpy.io and shrimpy.io kind of analyzes the DeFi market, your cryptocurrencies and everything else. But they have a really cool feature that I like where essentially for influencers or or people in the market that say they're willing to say, this is who I am. They will basically log their wallet in and you can see all of their trades. You can basically copy trade with them, but more than that, they have a score that's assigned to them of what they've done in the past. So instead of listening to what people are telling you, let's see what they've done in recent history as well as on-chain versus verbalizing it. Like I, I'd never give investment advice, never, because there's a 99% chance I'm going to be wrong. That's why for the ventures team, they analyze things very differently and from much more of a, a VC perspective than a coin's going to go up perspective. Awesome. Jay, thank you for the time. Keep up the good work. I look forward to connecting in person at one of your events soon. 
Absolutely, sir. Be good. Take care. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.